come true for Shawn Michaels. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Over Being Over podcast. My name is Joseph, and I'm joined by my co-host here, Gavin. What's up? And Jack. Let's get it. And uh, today we're going to be reliving a very special moment. We're going to relive the boyhood dream coming true. And we're joined by the biggest Shawn Michaels fan there is. The score senior writer and reporter and the host of the scores NBA podcast. Pound the rock. Joseph Cacharo. Oh, it's Joe squared. There's two of us. Joe squared. <laughs> We're going to be going by uh, cash today for Joe, our guest. The nickname. What's going on, guys? All right. So to get us started, I just want to get I mean, into I'm ready that. to drop some knowledge on you guys and teach you guys about HPK, the goat, the one <laughs> true goat. <laughs> You have some big selling to do. We're not sold yet. <laughs> I feel like wow. you're, you're coming in hot already saying he's the GOAT because uh, yeah. we're pretty we're pretty Team Jericho over here. Wow. All right. All right. <laughs> so, like, yeah, first, what was it about HBK that in your childhood that just drew you in so much, even to this day? that Because yeah, everything, if you, if you came up as a wrestling fan in the 90s, everything runs through HBK. Um, like in the ring and out of the ring. So in the ring, if you talk about like in the ring performers, um, there, there was none better than HBK. And even like, I know you guys were just mentioning how Jericho is your goat. Like you can find interviews with Jericho talking about how he was influenced by Shawn Michaels and the things that Shawn Michaels did in the ring. You know, another thing like there, a, there were a lot of wrestlers that were great in ring performers. You know, you can think like Bret Hart, um, you know, even later, like guys like Eddie Guerrero came along and stuff like that. I'm sure there's guys even now in your generation that are great in-ring performers. And there were guys who were great on the mic later on, like The Rock. You know, Hulk Hogan in the 80s was a huge guy in terms of just on the mic, that having that personality. But no one in wrestling history, at least in my generation, was able to combine, combine like in-ring excellence and legit wrestling ability and like high-flying entertainment factor while also being great on the mic and having this crazy personality that HBK had. So there was that. Then there was the fact, like I said, everything in the nineties went through HBK. Uh, first Iron Man match. He was in it. First ladder match. He was in it against Razor Ramon, WrestleMania 10. Uh, first hell in the cell match was Shawn Michaels undertaker. First elimination chamber match where Shawn Michaels was in it. Like um, you look at when the WWF at the time, uh, pivoted and went to like the attitude era to compete with wcw because they had nwo it was started with Shawn michaels doing dx and doing degeneration next like everything about being a wrestling fan in the 90s whether you loved him or hated him you had to admit that like everything started and ended with hbk uh so yeah just the guy he was a magnetic force man and <laughs> and i was it was very unpopular to be an hbk fan in canada at the time because you know you guys know about the montreal screw job and everything like yo growing up everyone was a bret hart fan like kids hated that i was an hbk fan like the the monday morning after the montreal screw job everyone hated the fact that i was team hbk you know when he won the belt and took it from bret hart at wrestlemania 12 all the other kids hated that because it was like oh canadian kids are supposed to love bret hart but i loved hbk oh man (laughs) that's like a that's like being a, a fan of a team is not the Raptors in Toronto. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. So like, I mean, that's a great description. I mean, yeah. I guess he is like, he could be anyone's goat, but that's, that's a good case. That's a good then case. Also, also, you know, the, the whole, like, you know, he called himself the showstopper, Mr. WrestleMania again, like, you know, these were things that obviously they were like part of the script and part of the act or whatever, but um, 
I think they like resonated a little behind the scenes too, because for real, like you can look at, look at WrestleMania's where he wasn't the main event, you know, even when he was young, I mentioned uh, how he had the first ladder match with Razor Ramon. Like at the time it was like, yo, they stole the show that WrestleMania, even though they weren't the main event. Um, I know the match you guys want to talk about the Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker WrestleMania 25. That wasn't a title match, but Mm -hmm. that was by far the best match of that WrestleMania. They stole the show. Like the thing with Shawn Michaels was, like he joked around or for the for the shtick he was the showstopper but he really did steal the show if he was on a pay-per-view you knew you were getting an unbelievable match an entertaining match he was a showstopper he was mr wrestlemania man i uh i think that's a good point to make because um when we get to the wrestlemania 25 match what was mentioned in the video packages was you know what's a better pairing than the undefeated undertaker versus mr wrestlemania you know that to challenge this undefe- undefeated WrestleMania streak, this is like the guy. And um, I mean, later on, later on, we'll talk about it. But that match really produced what you'd expect out of those two. Hundred percent, man. Yeah, that was uh, that was iconic. It's crazy how long that was. What like eleven years ago now? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Long. Doesn't feel that Re- long ago. It scares no. me. Rewatching it kind of hurt my childhood a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But, like, I think we just led into the perfect opportunity because I think WrestleMania 12 was the moment that Mr. WrestleMania came to be when he had that one-hour Ironman match for the WWF Championship against Bret Hart in the main event. So, like, first, I want to talk about, like, the build into this match. We were, like, kind of doing some research because we couldn't live it. But what was the storyline? Like, what do you remember from that storyline leading up to that match? So, okay, what I remember as a kid, I mean, and I was, I was young then. I was, I think I was in grade one. Yeah, I was in grade one when that WrestleMania happened. So like, I was super young, but I remember, you know, watching it, um, the way they built it up. If I remember correctly, Shawn Michaels had actually won the Royal Rumble the year before that. And I don't remember why, if he didn't get the title shot or what happened, or he just lost, uh, he lost at WrestleMania it. He 11. Lost it. Kevin Nash, I think. Wow, that was was WrestleMania main event at 11? Yeah, see, I don't even remember that. (laughs) So, but then, um, then he won the Royal Rumble again, I think. It's leading Mm -hmm. into, is... is, Yeah, he won 95 at 96. Yeah, Yeah, he Was was 96 the one where he was the first guy in? Or was that 95? Because he he had one where he was like the first Mm -hmm. guy in. And they wrote it in, like the way it got scripted. It was like, oh, he's the first guy to be, to win it. Um while being in the entire match like he was the first one in i don't remember if it was 95 or 96 but anyway so there was like that build up about how he'd run the royal rumble a couple years in a row and then yeah they started doing the whole thing where they brought in uh jose lothario who really (laughs) was uh who really was one of Shawn michaels trainers like in san antonio i don't think it was like the way they made it in in it like where it was like oh he was like this father figure to him whatever but he really was one of his trainers and they brought him in and they started building the whole thing about how you know, like, yeah, the boyhood dream and this is all he wanted. And, um, you know, when I was a, even younger, he was known as like the intercontinental champion. And he yeah. was kind of on that level, right? Like with Razor Ramon and stuff. So being like this, like childhood super fan of HBK, it was, it was cool to see him actually grab the belt at this pay-per-view. Cause it was one of those things when you're a kid, we're like, when you're that young, obviously you're not really thinking about it being like scripted and fake, whatever. It's just like this athlete that you cheer for the same way you're rooting for a team or whatever. Yeah. So it really did felt feel like it was like watching one of your teams that have, you know, consistently run up against the wall and you're trying to cheer for like root them over the top, over the hump. And it really did feel like this was that, which in hindsight feels kind of hilarious to say, because we're talking <laughs> about a, a wrestler. Was that like, 
was that a pride thing for you when you were younger? Because you said all the like Canadian kids were Bret Hart fans. So when Sean finally beat Bret, was that like a nice pride moment for you as well as a kid? Yeah, one hundred percent, man. Of course, yeah. And uh, like I said, I'm sure we'll talk about it too. But even just the whole way that it unfolded, where it was like, oh, it was a tie, mm-hmm. and Bret Hart didn't want to keep going. Like they 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 played it up really well. Yeah, I think that it's one of those things. Um, seeing a wrestler you like go from that like sort of B level up to the top, it's like um, it, it's like when you see an artist or something that makes that big break into mainstream or you know, like you said, the sports analogy. It's just something where you feel that pride of like you know, por- like putting your stock into this person early and yeah. seeing like them reach the top. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect way to put it, even with like uh, comparing it to artists. Because yeah, it's like then you can be like, yo, I told you, like I was on right, this yeah. guy. When he was down here and like I was telling you he was the best, he was gonna do this and you didn't listen to me and yeah, so definitely similar feeling. Yeah, yeah the you friend, were the friends when are... he was teaming with Marty Janetti, right? What's that? All the way back when he was teaming oh, with Marty Janetti. Oh man, Gennetti. yeah, when he, <laughs> that's when he went when when he was in the Rockers and then yeah. he uh he, oh man, was it on the barber shop? Yeah, he went to the barber shop. Brutus, Brutus yeah. Beefcake or whatever his name is. <laughs> um and yeah, he threw Marty Janetti through the window and that's when he went singles. Never and then, be the yeah, What's that? Never be the Genetti. Yeah, never be the Genetti. Yeah. Does it, what ended up happening to Marty Genetti? Did he go to oh, WCW? Man. He stuck around for a bit. Now he's, he's really weird now. He's a strange dude. He had a brief run back in WWE, though. Like, in, mm-hmm. back in, like, when? Like, 2006, was it? Really? Yeah, really. Like, weird, like, stand where he was always on Raw. Like, he kept showing up. Interesting. And, like, still Rocker's gear. Like, <laughs> But, yeah, like, uh, to start off this match, I want to start with Sean's entrance, first of all. Coming mm-hmm. in on the zip line, like, just... Stealing the show before he even started locking horns with Brett. They kept that but video Mac- packages for like yeah. years. Like we saw that like on TV Man. when we watched. Yeah. So imagine, like I said, okay. So imagine you're a seven year old kid obsessed <laughs> with like HBK and you're like, you're the only one in your class who likes HBK instead of Bret Hart. And then you're watching this and man he comes in from the rafters on a zip line. Like it was incredible to watch. It really was. And like it's one of those things where I feel like even if you're not a kid, if you're just a wrestling fan, even if you're like an older wrestling fan like myself, who even now, like I, I, I can go a whole year sometimes without watching a single second of wrestling. But once in a while, if there's like a pay-per-view, I have a stream for it, whatever, I'll check in and just kind of like just for the entertainment. I feel like Shawn Michaels coming in on a zip line at WrestleMania 12 <laughs> is you can go back when you're 55 years old and, and still be entertained by that moment, man. Yeah, the match itself, I don't know. We were saying, like, I don't know how you thought about the beginning of the match, but it did start slightly slow, and, like, it was a very slow pace, like, very Bret Hart-esque. Exactly. There was some disagreement about that. Yeah, we had some disagreement. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the rest hold and the the patience and, like, waiting for the build, but Jack's a big fan of the slow builds. Well, the I mean, the whole thing with Bret, right, was, like, the excellence of execution, and he was, like, the in-ring master... And I think even for me, like that was a, a big part of the reason why I liked Shawn Michaels more. Like I, I respect obviously the fact that Bret Hart, you know, he's an insanely good wrestler for real. Um, comes from like the long lineage of the Hart family in wrestling and all that. But if you like watch a lot of his matches with Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels has to carry the matches in a way because, yeah, Bret Hart is a great in ring wrestler, but Bret Hart's not doing many like high flying things and like crazy entertaining things like you gotta really love wrestling to love watching bret hart wrestle so i feel like even in this iron man match you can see like Shawn michaels kind of carries it and you and even when we talk about the undertaker match later to say like 
Shawn Michaels makes getting thrown into the turnbuckle uh, entertaining because he does the little flip where he like smashes it. You know what I mean? It's like. That was the main thing we were talking about, actually. These two guys were probably the two best at taking the turnbuckle bump. 100%. Brett took it like he was getting shot in the chest. Yeah. And then Sean's like whipping his ragdolls over the turnbuckle every time and it like looks so legit. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, also, I was going to say, if you go back and watch the, uh, we were talking about the entrance. If you go back and watch when. Because you know when his music first starts playing in Jose Lothario? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you go back and watch, Jose Lothario definitely trips, like almost falls in the first like three seconds. And then they have to like play it off. Like he just kind of picks himself back up. But <laughs> if you watch it closely, you can see the moment when he trips and has to like, quickly save himself. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah like the spot. That. Some of like the biggest spots we're talking about, like Gavin, you want to start us off with your like first spot of the match was that you really like jotted down? I think the first spot of the match. Well, okay. My thing was that the first 30 minutes are really slow. And the only like big spot is the super kick to the timekeeper. Yeah. And then like the timekeeper gets super kicked. But when I was watching it, one, like as soon as the clock went up, I said, okay, like we're in 1996. There's no way that Brad Hart or Shawn Michaels is taking more than one fall in this match. Just because knowing like the two biggest egos in the company. So mm-hmm. when the clock went up there, I was like, okay, like we're just counting down. But watching Shawn Michaels like put a headlock, if you think about like other than the screw job of like big matches where Shawn won with a submission, like I don't think there is any. So like seeing Shawn put Brett in a, in a headlock, I was kind of like, okay, like let's pick this thing up because there's no way like Brett is going to tap to like a rest hold or a headlock. And then in sort of like the research that I was doing about the match, they spent 11 of the third, the first 30 minutes in rest holds. And then at the end of the match, there was there was only four minutes of rest holds in the second 30 minutes plus overtime. So you can see where it picks up. But I think the first spot, like big, big spot that I picked up was the pile driver when Brett hit Sean yeah. with a pile driver. Yeah. And because like back in the day, the pile driver was like, no one kicks out of a pile oh, driver. Oh yeah, he's so, done. He's done. So when Sean kicked out, it's like, holy crap. And like one thing Brett does really well is that he works Sean's back really, really well the whole match. And like the back is like the big selling point. And he's like, He's hit throwing him into the turnbuckle. He's doing like superplexes off the top rope. He's throwing Sean to the outside. And I think that's like why the mat like at the even at the end when they get into that like 33 second sharpshooter, it's either Brett's like too overconfident that he's gonna get Sean to tap and that like Sean survives with all the abuse that his back has been through the entire match. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think again, that goes to the point of like Sean was always great at even even in matches where it's like he's supposed to be getting his ass kicked, he somehow makes it more entertaining than the guy who's kicking his ass, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have watched um, when he fought Undertaker for, in the first Hell in the Cell at Bad Blood. Like, that entire yeah. match was just Sean getting his ass kicked, but he made it so entertaining, right? And that's, <laughs> that's part of it. Um, but, yeah, the I remember, what, like, watching this as a kid, watching WrestleMania Live, um, that – I was surprised that there hadn't been any falls. And yeah, like going back when I'm older, like you said, if you think about it, it's like, yo, these guys are the two biggest egos in the company. Um, they weren't going to, they weren't going to get like four falls, you know, like Bret Hart's not going to get tapped out. He doesn't yeah, want to not- get pinned three times. Like it's an ego thing, even though it's scripted. So yeah, it makes sense. But as a kid or even someone watching it live, it was kind of crazy. Cause you can, I remember like that clock ticking down, and and even thinking as a kid, like, oh, like, what's going to happen? There's only six minutes left. Like, it's almost like sudden death at this point. Next fall wins. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, do you remember if 
it was Brett that came into the match as the baby face or was it Sean? We were trying to like figure that out ourselves. It was more so Sean, if I remember correctly, but I think it was one of those rare main events where there was no true heel. Like both guys were kind of baby faces. The weird thing with Bret Hart was that like when he was a baby face, like I never really remember him getting the pops or getting the, I don't know, Bret, Brett's popularity was weird, I feel like. Everyone knew yeah. he was good, but I don't know if maybe it's because he wasn't that great on the mic or he was never kind of this like larger-than-life personality outside the ring. It just never it never felt like he was as big as he should have been, I guess. Yeah. Watching um, him back, though, it feels like he would have been like the perfect heel, but he was always the baby face. And yeah, like, no, the match that I've seen, like just the way he works, that's just like a true. heel way of doing like no flips, like in Vince's mind, or you see it. Yeah, no, it's like, true. Now. It's true. Um, and yeah, it's probably like if he, if he was around now, if you take a guy like that now and you make him a heel, um, especially if they played up the whole like Canadian or like anti-American thing, like they tried to do at some point. Yeah. He'd probably be a great heel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think for the build of the match and you could correct me if I'm wrong here. I think it was similar to like, um, like the Cena versus rock thing where it was like a clash of two of the best guys. And there wasn't really any heel. Cause it was just like, trying to build the idea of like we're gonna find out who's number one if that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah no it does and i think that's exactly what it was and i think kind of like for fans it was like that too um you could have been a like i was more of a fan of hbk but i didn't hate brett hart i don't think anyone hated either guy to be honest um mm-hmm. it was just kind of like two bit popular baby faces um, mm-hmm. main eventing it was pretty cool the one thing i don't get is why this was in just the like an NHL size and NHL NBA sized arena. Like it was in the ducks uh, home arena. Mm-hmm. And I was, I had forgot about that until I watched it to do this podcast with you guys. And I was like, Oh yeah, this was just in like an NHL. Cause usually WrestleManias are in like baseball, football stadium types. Yeah. Right? Well, Cause WCW was like pretty much like WCW was winning the mm-hmm. ratings and like had like lots of fans then too. So that was probably, they probably couldn't fill like the stadium yet because it was sort of, some people were more into WCW like right before the Attitude Era when they won over the when the tide sort of changed. Yeah, no, it's interesting for sure. That's a good point because I remember there was a few before that, like um, you know, like the the Skydome had already hosted one by this yeah. point. I think like Caesar's Palace in Vegas had hosted one already, right, but that, then that yeah, was then, nine. yeah. So then, but then they went all of a sudden back to these like small arenas for a few years. So yeah, maybe it is like you mentioned. Uh, maybe it just goes to show that WCW had started to beat them. Well, also the main event in the years before WrestleMania, this is like the most ridiculous. Lawrence Taylor, like the football player, yeah. beat Bam 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 Bigelow, Bam Bigelow, yeah. Like, the, like if people watched WrestleMania the year before and they're coming to this, they probably were left with a sour taste in their mouth after they saw that as like the rest. And then this, the second like second to last match was Diesel with Pamela Anderson beating Shawn Michaels with Sid and Jenny McCarthy, like. <laughs> <laughs> like if you if you want to watch wrestling, you probably would go to WCW for the wrestling because yeah. it's like the sports feel where w, WWF at the time was like more like wacky characters and like entertainment. Like Bret Hart beat Bob Backlund, which was like in an I in a nine minute I Quit match at WrestleMania 11. Yeah, that's <laughs> a terrible, that's a terrible like big match for a WrestleMania. Yeah, just uh, the sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Jack. No, go ahead. Oh, okay. I I was gonna say um going back to the match for a second uh like there was some argument about the rest holds between us, but like the way I thought of it was like, realistically, you can't have these guys like killing each other for a whole hour. Like 
you, you to an extent have to have rest holds and stuff like that in this. And um, one thing I credited this match with was the fact that um, we've seen Iron Man matches where they needed tons of props and tons of like outrageous stuff to fill the hour. Uh, I think it was Orton versus Cena. Uh, Orton like had Pyro hitting Cena on the stage. Yeah. This one, I mean, besides uh, the super kick to the timekeeper, I don't think there was much like usage of items or anything. It was just like an hour of wrestling, which I appreciate. Mostly in the ring. There was a few count out spots. Like Brett tried to win with a count out once. Sean tried to win with a count out. But yeah, it stayed mostly in the ring, which is cool. Yeah, and it's like even if you think about just how hard that is, like from a scripting perspective, from like right. choreography, man, to do that for an hour, just come up with things repeatedly. Yeah, it's and and like you said too, like they didn't really have a lot of the like accessories and you know extra like um, out of ring stuff. It was pretty much just like sixty minutes of wrestling for the most part, which mm-hmm. probably exhausting too. You have to, you have to be a good I wrestler did... to yeah. do that for an hour. Sorry, go ahead. One thing I'd written in my notes though was like one spot that I guess was probably much bigger back then than it is now. We see it all the time now, but when uh, Sean did the cross body to the outside onto Brett, the way it's like popped and like hyped up by the commentators, I was like, it shows like it was just like a different part of the match and like the rest of it like in like colds and pure wrestling. You saw him dive to the outside. That and that's what I'm saying, right? Like as a kid, I remember Sean Michaels. He wasn't the only guy doing that stuff, but. He was the only guy that did that stuff that was also great on the mic and then could also wrestle on the mat if he needed to. Like, just the whole package that he had. Um, like I said, that's why I loved him at the time. That's why I think he's the GOAT. Um, but yeah, like if you watch the Shawn Michaels match, even a 60-minute Iron Man match where it had to be exhausting and so tough to script, like there was always going to be at least one or two moments where Shawn, especially if you're a hardcore wrestling fan, like brought you out of your seat, you know? Yeah. Speaking Joseph, of- one thing. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> Joseph, one thing that you brought up that I actually liked the other day was when you said, like, this is like one of the first WrestleManias where two guys that weren't like seven feet tall or like they were like two really big guys main evented, which is an interesting shift because, like, historically Vince has been really into the bigger guys, but this is like two, like, pretty average size height wise wrestlers mm-hmm. main eventing in a one hour match, the biggest show of the year. Yeah, that's surprising. I don't know. You see it now, like even to this day. Like you see the big the guys are always in the main event are always the the jacked up guys. Like you see Roman Reigns being the face of the company now, John Cena as the rock, but we like, we, we saw back and, we saw Jinder Mahal as WWE champion. <laughs> we saw a member of three man band as the champion. If you're jacked, yeah. you will get pushed. <laughs> Looking back, it's like shows that like they must have been special to be appreciated to that extent to where they're trusted with the main event of WrestleMania without being the perfect uh, poster boy for the company. 100%. And I think, yeah. And then that just kind of continued even through the rest of the 90s for Sean, especially, right? Because at this point, now, like once this match is over, not even just because he's a champion, but he had the ladder match already at WrestleMania. He had this. Um, and then, like I said, you know, within about a year and a half after this, and he started DX and that took off. So, yeah, like I think he he earned not even just the Mr. WrestleMania stuff that they, they had him talk about, but just like he, he literally earned the right to headline main events and to headline WrestleManias and to be the face of the company, because there's a perfect example. Like you mentioned, like they, he main events a one hour main event at WrestleMania with another guy who's a pure wrestler. And, uh, and, and, you know, it was definitely slow at times, but for the most part, I think they did as much as you can ask for in, in an Ironman match. And for the first one as well. Yeah. 
to get into the finish though like were you ex- was it expected like that sean was going over or was like the was everyone writing him off was he i like it's hard to remember because like i said i was i was only in grade one i was seven but i i do remember it feeling like Oh, I don't know if he's actually going to win, you know, because like I said, it felt like rooting for that guy or that team that just couldn't get over the hump. And it's like he was in the he was like the biggest guy of the second tier. He was the intercontinental champion. He would have these feuds like Razor Ramon or whoever it was. But so I I feel like until I actually saw it happen, I couldn't believe it was going to happen. And then especially as I like the clock started winding down and there was no falls. I started worrying like, Oh man, like it's going to end with Brett tapping him out at the buzzer or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but we were also saying about this match, like, I don't know if you agree, Gavin brought it up. Actually, if this happened now with like social media being around and these two guys having like being such big egos and so much heat on them, probably in the back must would have been a whole different like ball game in our opinion. Like it would have been a whole different story. hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. It would have been huge on social media. Yeah. Sean having so much heat like in the, behind the curtains and then still getting the opportunity. To... That's another thing too. I don't know like um I'm sure you know you guys are huge wrestling fans so you probably read about it too. If you ever like read any of like the behind the scenes stuff or if you've even watched interviews with any of these guys or guys that were in the 90s um Sean became like super influential backstage. Like Vince McMahon trusted him and you can watch a lot of interviews with guys. So a big part of it was a Shawn Michaels was like a single at the time. He was a single guy that apparently traveled more than any of the other guys, you know, who had wives and families and whatever. And the way Shawn Michaels looked at it is like, yo, I'm, I'm out here traveling like twice as much as all these other guys traveling more than Brett, who's supposed to be the company's champion. Um, you know, I'm the one, it could be a house show in like Milwaukee on a random Saturday night. And I'm like bringing the house down because I'm going balls to the wall every single match. Um, and he just kind of earned that respect. But I think the, uh, yeah, it, based on interviews I've watched and stuff I've read, the other wrestlers hated him for the most part because they saw him as kind of like a kiss ass with Vince McMahon. They saw him as this guy who was like, his ego was bigger than his actual ability. And that snaked him out of stuff. And then the other thing too, with the whole clique with him, and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, like backstage, they really were a clique that just hung out together and didn't really fraternize with the other wrestlers. So yeah, I think there was a lot of animosity. And like you said, that backstage heat, I think if it happened today in the social media era, when stuff gets out more too, uh, I think there would have been a lot more attention on it. Mm-hmm. Well, another interesting thing is that like in the new Undertaker documentary that's been playing out, like Undertaker even says about what the match we're going to talk about later. He says, when Sean first came into the business, he didn't really like Sean because he wasn't the nicest guy backstage and he sort of had this attitude about him, but he could always respect Sean because he knew that when they were in the ring, they were a going to get a great match and like B Sean was always super reliable in the ring. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to see that he could go from having this sort of big personality and big ego in the back. But when it came to the ring, he would always deliver and these guys would, he would earn these guys respect. Yeah, that's a great point. And I know even uh, like Shawn Michaels has talked about how after this uh, actual main event, after WrestleMania 12, like um, even though he didn't get along with guys backstage, you know, usually when like the belt changes hands, there's like a little congratulations thing backstage. Again, it's like one of these things where even though it's scripted, it's still like, you know, a big moment in a guy's career and they do like congratulatory stuff backstage. And Shawn said that um, for every time he remembers the, the heavyweight belt changing hands, there was always this little ceremony and the ex champion, you know, would give a little speech or something and um, kind of big up the new champion, whatever. 
And Sean said after this WrestleMania, when he got to the back, everyone was there to congratulate him, except Brett. Brett had already gone home or like gone back to the hotel. So it kind of shows you like the, the, the tension between those two guys for real in real life backstage yeah. where Brett, Brett couldn't even stomach, you know, hanging around for this little celebration after. It's also like interesting for Brett's perspective too, because like Diesel was the champion. It was a bad experiment. And it seemed like whenever they needed a reliable champion, they went back to Brett, but then Brett would always lose it. So I feel like part of that was also, he was just kind of mad because he had just got the belt back from Diesel. He lost it again. And every time they would try to get like Jim Cornette, I don't really side with him, but he had hilarious quote. He was like, once they put the belt on Sean, every time they tried to take it off him, he would either lose his smile, get injured, or he'd retire, or he'd retire, which is like one of the funnier things he's had to say. Yeah, and it's true. If you if you think back to it, yeah, it's true. I think that uh, like when you, in retrospect here about the locker room, it seemed like a very toxic uh, place to be. Um, and it's funny because it's like they're, they were producing such good stuff at the time, but it was just such a horrible environment to be in at the same time. Yeah, it was probably uh, it was probably weird for the other wrestlers too, right? Like the tension, right? Um, and and they probably felt like they had to pick a side too, right? It's the two biggest faces in the company. Um, yeah, I think yeah, Shawn Michaels has talked about how like he, you know he he wasn't the most mature guy at the time. He was still super young at this. I think he was like maybe mid twenties at this point, late twenties. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And like I said, it'd be interesting to see how something like this would unfold today in the social media era when all this stuff would get out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when it came all down to it, it was Sean that ended up taking the W when it went into overtime, hitting that super kick. Super kick. Hit two. He hits two. He hits two. That's right. And then the legendary line, the boyhood dream has come true for the heartbreak kid. Vince McMahon delivered that line, didn't he? Because he was he was commentating he at did. the time. Vince didn't really become like part of the show until after the screw job. That's when he kind of really became part of the show and they shifted to the attitude area. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, that's uh that's an iconic call, man, in wrestling history. That's one of the ones where, like I said, it's when you're that young and you're so invested in it and it really is just like watching any other sport or a team you you root for and you remember those like classic moments in sports history and the commentary, the HBK winning the title at this WrestleMania and that Vince McMahon call is always up there for me. I remember that line being in like the WWE intro prior to their shows running when they do like that package. It's like yes. Sean coming in on the zip line and Vince going, the boyhood dream is yes. coming that was ended up until like maybe a couple of years ago. They just taken it out when they started like moving to their new generation and like trying to change the, change the show around. Yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. Right. Like, so like so much of, of the, of WWE history can be told through like stuff Sean did or -hmm. stuff Sean was a part of, right? Like he was so huge and important for um, where, where the company went in the nineties. It's funny. Like, through my childhood of watching WWE in like the late 2000s um I heard that call so many times like through the intro through video packages and it didn't it wasn't until like I really started going through like the network and stuff that I actually found out like what that was from but it it was so ingrained in wrestling history that I just knew that way before I even knew about this match or I knew about you know the history of it and stuff like that Mm. greatest entrance greatest entrance in wrestling history <laughs> right and i knew about the entrance too just because of how many a trillion times they showed it yeah but yeah the reason we want to get into like our next match now but the reason we chose wrestlemania 25 with him and the undertaker was simply because i wanted to get we wanted to get two different perspectives of sean because when you grew up you had the sean of being kind of like the jackass kind of stuck up arrogant he ran the show 
But when we grew up, he was holy. Shawn Michaels kind of he found God. He found God. He's led by yeah. Christ, playing yeah. kid. A whole different Sean. Like we never saw the Sean winning the titles. We saw like him putting over young talent, still delivering the best match of the night. Well, almost he was the heartbreak kid, but he wasn't the heartbreak kid still. So yeah, like Jack, you want to get into like what Sean was like in your childhood, maybe? Yeah, well, I, I want to talk about that specific time uh, for a second, if that's fine. Um, a year ago, I went back and watched 09 because that was like around when I got into wrestling first. Um, and I my my memory was kind of blurry of it. Um, I feel like what was interesting was is that we saw this very mature Shawn Michaels, especially going into this match, where he built himself as this person who thinks he can take Undertaker. But we saw this vulnerability too, where, and it really gets exposed in the match. We see this vulnerability of he starts to think, okay, maybe I don't have this. And we see, we see this mature Shawn Michaels that thinks, okay, maybe I'm not who I was before. Um, but before, uh, in the build-up to this, he was in this like horrible storyline where the, the plot was that he was broke. And because of that, he has to work for JBL. Um, I forgot. Oh my! God. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even I didn't even realize that because, like I said, this was like at by '09 I had already pretty much stopped watching wrestling, other than like once in a while or like mm-hmm. yeah, if I knew Shawn Michaels was gonna be in a big, I'd watch. But so I didn't even realize like I, I've watched this match, but I didn't realize that was part of the build up. Well, what was amazing was is that that was like happening around Rumble time. So it's amazing that this story he he was able to land on his feet with this story because that was so close to this build and it didn't cloud the undertaker build he was they were able to sort of trash that and move on to his undertaker thing um before people thought well that was kind of stupid why'd you do that (laughs) um so it was like a complete 180 for him going into this like story that made him look like an absolute you know sad sellout into (laughs) being this absolute you know baby face you can do it sean type of person yeah, wow, that's wild. I I did not know about that storyline. <laughs> it, it was it was really sad to watch because it was like yeah, I can imagine they they just made him out to be this like broken man who's doing anything he can. He was like, I just need the job security, so I'm gonna work for JBL. That's awful. I didn't remember like that's like that was erased from my memory because I always remember him being a part of like some pretty good storylines like for a good period there like his Chris Jericho storyline around that time was like one of the best going when they like threw the title in the match at that ladder match where they're both tugging on the title at the top of the ladder or like Jericho punched his wife by accident Listen, when Sean <laughs> we can if we can go through every wrestler and find a horrible storyline yeah it's true it's true but um, yeah they really in there but like going into that match Sean was I wanted to talk about the entrance again because oh, yeah. Sean stole the show with the best entrance of the night Coming in in the white jacket, white hat, Undertaker suit, arising from the heavens, coming down to us on WrestleMania. Mr. WrestleMania is a showstopper, man. I, I, th- I thought it was cool how they played up the heaven and hell thing. In the video package, Undertaker said, sometimes it's hell trying to get to heaven. They really uh, tried to drive that home with the uh, the angelic entrance. <laughs> also, in, in that, because uh, when I went back and, and watched the match for the show, I... I noticed that in the little like intro thing and the buildup, there, there was a clip of Sean taking off his hat, Undertaker style. And like, what was that from a Raw or a SmackDown or something? Was that part of the buildup? Was that one of the things I, that happened? I in- think it was there, it was from a SmackDown where he might have, it, it was it was like billed as an Undertaker segment and he dressed up as him, I think. Oh, okay. And then okay. I think how the segment ended was that Undertaker was there 
hiding in something or whatever and he attacked him to sort of show like you know i got eyes in the back of my head you the, the whole story was that sean was trying to be like you know pretending he's smarter than the undertaker and then right. he sort he sort of gets this culture shock of realizing okay this is the phenom like i can't right. mess with this guy that's jokes i remember him being like very like um he was kind of scared but then he still tried to be like he started tying back to the heartbreak kid mm-hmm. by doing like dirty antics like when he snuck up behind him and hit the super kick on the right at the stage like he, i you never saw sean do that when we were like growing up he was yeah. always he was the good well, guy even- he was the one getting attacked he was never the one doing the attacking in uh in this match there's a point uh i think it's pretty early in the match where he, like for it pretends to have a knee injury or something yeah and then <laughs> it comes and he hits him yeah he plays possum yeah he played like he went back to like his heartbreak kid like yeah gimmick a little bit yeah absolutely what made that match so special i think um uh, one last thing before we get into the match i want to talk about how you mentioned this like stole the show not really the best wrestlemania top to bottom i like this wrestlemania because it's like nostalgic but um, it had a main event of Triple H defeating Randy Orton in what was a bad match. Um, one of the worst main events in like WrestleMania history. It's like it's like scrubbed from my memory almost, just because of <laughs> the, the 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 match. The show had great matches. It had Matt Hardy versus Jeff Hardy, which was like Chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> it had a great ladder match, and it had this. Um, but like, that was just not a good main event. And like you mentioned, you know, when he's on the show, he tends to be the spotlight. Um, so to me, this really was like the main event. Yeah. Anyone looking back at WrestleMania 25, the first thing they mention is HBK versus Undertaker. Absolutely. And it's, it's crazy too. Like, and it shows you how both Shawn Michaels and Undertaker were like the old reliables for Mm -hmm. Vince McMahon and WWE. Because if you think about it, like, okay, we're talking about, um, how he main evented at WrestleMania 12 and 11 and 14, I I think was the one against Stone Cold or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Undertaker, um, Undertaker, I think, won the belt at WrestleMania 13, if I'm not mistaken, or around around there, maybe mm-hmm. 15. But anyway, these are like these two guys were headlining WrestleManias, like in between the range of like WrestleMania 11 to 15, and then they're the two guys stealing the show at WrestleMania 25, like a decade later. So it kind of shows you their range and just how important they were for the company and also how much Vince trusted them and how they were just like the old reliables, man, for mm-hmm. WWE. It's like you plug those two guys in anywhere but let alone against each other in the same match and it's you know you're getting greatness mm-hmm. after i watched it again i had to go like look up their ages at the time just because i was like curious to see like these guys were like pushing 50 at this point and they put on like a pretty like solid match people pushing 50 yeah. you see guys now like goldberg putting on matches at this age and they're like the train wreck of the show oh, yeah. come on. Line. Get goldberg <laughs> out of here. But guys like this at the same age, and they were like stealing the show. It shows just a, the difference yeah. in like how special these two are. And and with Sean, like um, people forget too, like the the back injury was a legitimate thing. You know that wasn't just like part of the storyline. He he had a serious back injury, and that's why he had to retire in the late nineties. Um, and even when he came back after that, you know, I know he ended up having the feud with Triple H, and he won the belt again at Elimination Chamber. But when he had come back that time, he's even talked about in interviews how he did not plan to wrestle when he came back because he was still told he should not wrestle ever again he came back it was just supposed to be you know to make some tv appearances i think he said he was going to be like commissioner again or whatever it was um and then just i guess the bug bit him and he needed to get back in the ring so it's it's especially crazy when you consider him headlining wrestlemania 25 or stealing the show at wrestlemania 25 when you know almost a decade earlier he was never supposed to wrestle again mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. it's a 
a classic wrestling trope to be like the doctors told me i should never wrestle again but here i am yeah yeah because yeah, i was watching back like i'm watching smackdown in like 99 and sean was just there as like the commissioner like he was also a heel at the time like helping triple h be the heel yeah. champion like super kicking his opponents for him but yeah to see him like to come back from that and become this but yeah getting into the match itself i'm not gonna lie i remember this as my childhood being like five star it was like the best match but like i was a little bit disappointed because i was like <laughs> it didn't live up to the hype i remember there there was like a few spots where someone could have been paralyzed just a few yeah the, the one the what about are you talking about one of the ones where he he goes for the back flip onto taker outside the ring the one yeah. where it's supposed to be like he misses taker and lands on him but it looks like he almost lands on his head yeah like he takes yeah. out the cameraman or, yeah yeah he like basically that, yeah. lands on his neck and like it, yeah. at that point i was like well, I mean, I knew I knew it continued after that, but I was like, I mean, like, could have just ended there if someone got hurt. They tried to play it off too so well, like you were saying, Jack earlier. Like he slipped, like they're like, oh, trying to play it off like his back injury, and then this guy just does this flip and like completely, like he barely even made the flip fully, like kind of twisted in midair. And it wasn't like was... Brock Lesnar backflip moonsault ra- at WrestleMania yeah. levels of bad, but like, yeah, it was, it was a sideways moonsault. It was so yeah. like. And then they just had the Undertaker like throw him to the ground, like, oh, Undertaker sidestepped him, threw yeah. him to the ground. <laughs> Very clearly a botch. Um, also, there was another one where Undertaker flips out onto the outside, mm. I think. Yeah, and that's the same that. match. He does like he goes for the dive, his signature dive, and ends yeah. up the camera and catch him. If you if you watch that, it, like he comes pretty close to going like breaking his neck on that. Yeah. You know the story behind that? You know the cameraman was set up as um Jimmy Superfly Snuka's son. Oh, no way. It was Sim Snuka. He was in the WWE as like Deuce. His name was like Deuce, I think. Oh, wow. He was like in a, like some not 80s style tag team. But yeah, he ended up like missing. He's supposed to catch him and missed the catch and almost injured Taker. And then the next day, Vince re- fired him, released him because wow, of that. Wow, that's interesting. It's funny because for me watching it, it was funny because it was almost like one of those little, um, oh man, what do they call it? Uh, I'm a writer and I just forgot the name of this because it's a, it's like a thing in writing when uh, oh an Easter egg like if if you're if you're writing something and it's almost like you have an inside joke with a fan or someone you know you put something in your piece that they call an Easter egg and it's like only people who really know will get what you're hinting at I I felt like the cameraman thing a little bit was like an Easter egg for like the true old HBK fans <laughs> or old wrestling fans because cameramen in Shawn Michaels matches especially you can go find some legendary Shawn matches cameramen always end up taking a beating somehow in Shawn Michaels <laughs> matches like the the hell in a cell at bad blood he he kills a cameraman like he destroys the cameraman there's a couple other ones but so I remember when I was watching this and saw that I was like oh man that's a little easter egg for all the like old HBK fans because cameramen always get wrecked in Shawn Michaels matches yeah I remember like watching that live that that dive by Undertaker like I remember freaking out as a kid. I don't, Joe. We might have even watched this one together. I we think. did. That's what we I was did. gonna say. The funny thing is, I was I I was at your house for this one, um, because uh, yeah, I remember you guys just like we used to get together sometimes for WrestleMania and Adele, our cousin Adele would come over and stuff. But this was one of those times where like I didn't watch wrestling anymore, but we still came over for WrestleMania because it was WrestleMania. I was like, oh, I'm down to watch WrestleMania and yeah. Shawn Michaels is fighting. <laughs> of course I'll watch. So yeah, it's funny because I remember that too. We watched it. I remember like, like freaking out, like seeing him like eat that dive, and like yeah. I was like, he just crushed the cameraman. The camera like broke on his back. This like he's done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but looking man. back now, but like yeah, other than that, though, like for two, yeah, like once again, two like late forty year old men, they put on a solid match. Like 
You guys have anything written down, Gavin? You have anything like specific? Uh, I, was gonna say, I think my favorite, one of my favorite spots of the match is because Sean retired Ric Flair the year before. Was it the year before? Two years before? Yeah, it was the year before. Yeah, the year before, and then he put uh, Undertaker in the figure four, or he tried to put him in the he put him in the figure four, and then on like on commentary, you kind of miss it because they don't. It's classic like WWE commentary. They don't play it play it up as much. They're just like, oh yeah, the the figure four taught him by Ric Flair, but like that was a pretty significant spot because he just retired Ric Flair, and then he went back to his to Ric Flair's like figure four, which is a pretty sick spot. And then I also like the. Uh, the missed leg drop by Taker on the like on the the apron, the hardest part of the ring. That was a pretty that was pretty awesome. I like that part because then it sort of went into it was like the leg drop, Sean doing like the botched moonsault, and then we had Taker's like suicide dive shortly after that. But it was di- it's a digest really digestible match for something that's like super like thirty minute match. Mm-hmm. One- it had their high spots. There, there was some great Jr. calls oh, yeah. in this match. Like if and you want to go back, and- what's that? Getting out of body experience when yeah. I, I was like, oh, that's an awesome call when Sean kicks out of the tombstone. He's like, I said, not a body experience. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. This was JR's, uh, especially with the kickouts, and that's what I actually put in my notes was that like, <laughs> if you want to show someone like why JR is great, uh, from an entertainment perspective, just make a cut of every single kickout in this match mm-hmm. and <laughs> JR's reaction to it. It is hilarious, like from start to finish. His re- and and the way it built up as the match went on, so that by the end of it, when Sean was kicking out of a tombstone, or uh, Undertaker kicked out, or something like he was going ballistic. It was amazing. I um last week we watched an AEW show and Jim Ross was doing commentary there, and I I sort of I, I gave him a hard time for the show. I was like, you know what, this isn't his best, but I had to put a disclaimer that I'm not saying this is how he always is. One of these match, this match was like a real case to show that like. JR, as a whole good commentator career, you know, he was one of the best. Yeah. Yeah. He really was. Uh, he also, he, he had a really great call on Undertaker hits one of like the great, like craziest choke slams of his career in this match. Uh, and I can't remember now what point it was at, but I remember even watching the replay for this being like, Oh, I forgot how hard that choke slam was. I was like, you heard. Yeah. He like, he threw him down. Like, yeah. <laughs> And JR is a great reaction at that point, too. Yeah, JR's reaction. So, like, I feel like most Undertaker matches that have JR calling them usually end up with some, like, pretty good calls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I uh, noted about this match was that, and I, I kind of mentioned it before, the mentioning the, the vulnerability. What I really liked was you saw this from Michaels and you saw this from Undertaker eventually, as you saw emotion where both these guys, it felt like they were dragging themselves through hell and back to, to win this match. And you saw that a character development in it in that at some point you saw them go can i actually beat this guy and you you don't expect to see that out of the undertaker because he he has this persona that you never expect him to break but when that kick out from the pile the tombstone pile driver happens and he's he's sitting on on Shawn michael's side and he just has this face of shock um it's still used as like a gif online on twitter and <laughs> stuff but it was like such an amazing moment because it was like you never see the undertaker like that and i just thought the emotion that was in this match was what one of the things that made me like it so much. You know, both these guys just gave it their all. And it it, it felt like these were real emotions you were seeing, you know? Yeah, it was cool because, like, usually that's the face they would make the other wrestler have because the Undertaker sat up or something. You yeah. know? So it was, like, really cool to now have the Undertaker making those faces because he couldn't put a guy away. Mm-hmm. It's Also, it's- these... 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It, it, it's hard to sell year over year that the Undertaker's having trouble beating someone because it's like, how do you how do you sell twenty matches and he wins every single one of them and still make people believe that he might lose? Right. They did it with this one, definitely. Hundred percent. What were you saying? And as I said, these two guys, they have the greatest, um, like, get up from being on the mat routines. Oh, the two yeah. greatest in WWE, like Shawn Michaels with the little like yeah. flip up and, yeah. and Undertaker obviously with the sit up. So just another reason why Sean's the goat. <laughs> My favorite part that I have noticed of the ma- noted for this match was the close itself. It was just like, I expected just like a basic, like Taker's going to grab and hit the tombstone or like a submission, even like with his Hell's Gate at the time. He was really big with that. But it's Sean going for a moonsault and getting caught in midair and like turned into a tombstone. And it it just blew me away that these guys were like able to deliver that and like it was that was like they had some botches in this match with the moonsault the flips, but it was so clean that it was like you would think that these guys were in their prime again when they hit that that sequence of moves. And that's what I'm saying. Like, how many guys in the industry today? How many guys, even when I was coming up in their prime in the '90s or whenever the case may be, could make that look as good? as it did and these guys were in their late 40s more than a decade removed from their prime sean already having a horrible back that almost ended his career like really you go back and watch this man like they the show that they put on um, was pretty incredible Mm -hmm. i was trying to say like keeping on the finish if from the story point of this match it's like sean has wrestled this perfect match he's probably the closest person ever so far beating the undertaker at mania and the one mistake he makes is he turns his back on the Undertaker at the end to try and hit that moonsault. And then by the time he realizes that Undertaker's up, it's too late. Like, he's getting caught in a tombstone, and he's going down for the pin. Yeah, I do, that's cool. And I also like I like that they almost made – maybe whether they intended it to do this or not. Um, you know, like, Sean had that whole mystique about him. Like, I remember when I was coming up as a kid, one of the things that uh, JR would always say about – Shawn Michaels in matches was that um, his balls were bigger than his brains. Or maybe Jerry Lawler used to say, but one of them used to always say that about Shawn Michaels in matches, especially when he'd go to the top rope. And I kind of liked that moment because it almost reminded me of that. It's like, there's still all these years later, it's almost like they're keeping that shtick going for Shawn where it's like, you know, this is the undertaker, like put him away if you have the chance or whatever the case be. And it's like, no, it's still vintage Sean. Like he's going to get this one crazy thing off before this match is over. And then that's what kind of undoes him in the end. So that's a pretty cool, whether they meant to do it like that or not, that's a cool like story development in itself. I, th- I think that also goes into like the storytelling they were doing before where it was, they were trying to show that like Michaels thinks he's smarter than, you know, the phenom. And he, he, he tries these mental games and stuff like that, but he, he just runs into a wall because you know this isn't a guy that you can be flashy over you have to give everything um and i i just thought it was you know i i want to believe that that's the way they wrote it out intentionally to have the finish like that you know maybe we're giving them too much credit but uh for the sake of me wanting to believe that things are great um i'm willing to believe that yeah that's how they. the way i looked at the story actually was like he kind of came into the match as like this like like he found God, as I was saying, like he came into the match coming from heaven, but he lost the match as the heartbreak kid going for the flashy move. So kind of tied back. And I think that tied into like their next year's match because Sean wasn't like the big spot monkey of the next year's match, even though he had that big one moonsault in the next year when he had his retirement match, but he stayed face to face with the undertaker the whole match. And it kind of like, it helped build a whole year later when they 
in my opinion, delivered an even better match the next year. Jack disagrees with me, but yeah, I th- <laughs> I've seen. I, I I just thought you know, the in ring wasn't amazing for this map match, but I just thought the the emotion that was in it was like something that they couldn't recreate. Um, in my opinion, I've seen um a lot of those like you know best match ever countdowns or whatever that have both. They have their back-to-back matches as, like, two of the five best, two of the ten best. Sometimes they package them into, like, one and just say, like... But, yeah, everyone seems to agree that whether you have 25 or 26 above, whatever, but that these two matches were some of the best ever, which, again, for, like, the Mm -hmm. tenth time, um, to Mm -hmm. say it, it's crazy given how old they were and everything that had already happened. But another thing I will say, if you go back and look at a lot of those countdowns, which wrestlers on there the most? Uh, that's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. I think that's the perfect way to close it. Right there, man. Just like Sean's your goat. There's another way to put it. He's your greatest of all time. Who do you guys have? Like I don't know. You got you guys are from another generation. Who do you guys have? I think you guys said Jericho. I'm said Jericho. Jericho. Yeah. yeah, Team Jericho. I, I think Jericho. That for us it's just because he was. Um... And I, I mean, I can't speak for you guys, obviously, but um, he wasn't the best in-ring wrestler, even though he did put on great matches, but his ability to reinvent himself. I, I saw this amazing um, drawing where it was like um, someone drew 50 different gimmicks that he did. Um, and you could just you could name every single one by just looking at the photo and it just shows how he was able to make himself. You know, he never ran out of ideas and he still isn't running out of ideas, which is what's amazing to me. Um, and he's just a a mastermind of being a heel i think yeah it's the same for me like he was just always the he might have not always been like the main attraction he's a lot of times he's like a mid-card champion in like our generation he was like the most intercontinental title reigns in history but he would lose yeah, a just lot. gimmicks like um doing like the list or he now everything over he's in all elite wrestling and he got champagne over a little bit of the bubbly <laughs> and now he's selling champagne online you can order a bottle of Chris Jericho, Le Champion, Champagne. <laughs> and he comes out with the blazer and the scarf. And it's just like, he does it so well. Mm-hmm. But I really like the Jericho we're seeing now where he's kind of like, he's putting the younger talent over as he's like, I don't know if you've seen it, Joe, like All Elite Wrestling. They're doing... um, they I've, I've heard, I haven't seen any of it, but I've heard about it and like I've read about it and kind of how big it's getting now too. Stadium stamp. Jericho leads a faction yeah. in there called the Inner Circle. And it's kind of like the young guys up and coming. Like there's a guy, Sammy Guevara, who's going to be like a main event star one day. One of the best tag teams in the world. They're Santana and Ortiz. And then they have, I don't know if you remember Jack Swagger from WWE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like the muscle of the group. Okay. Now, yeah, like Jake Hager. But it just shows that he's like kind of like, it's a whole new role for him. And he still does it so well. Like being the the old guy now that kind of helps. He's been around, man. I, like Jericho. I remember Jericho was big in WCW in like the 90s. And then I remember as a kid when it was a big deal when he came to WWF or WWE. I remember if it was WWF at the time or if it had already changed. But they, when they did the whole Y2K, Y2J. like Y2J thing, yeah. he, well. he showed up just before the turn of the century. Like, man, that was 20 plus years ago. I was freaking 11 years old at the time. And now, yeah, to, you know, you're talking about how he's like leading this faction in AEW and two decades later. That's pretty crazy. I can't imagine living that debut like live and like not having the social media to like ruin it for you. Like, oh man, this guy's crazy. Kind of, like, like it's Y two J. Like I would have like that would have been crazy. I can't imagine like living that. Yeah, that was definitely one of like the more memorable moments, um, for my generation of wrestling was Jericho's, Jericho's debut. 
when I when I see clips of that, I sort of get that anger of like, you know, why wasn't I born like you know ten years before so I could experience this? Yeah, it it kind of. We have that struggle for us now. Like we're like social media tells you what's gonna happen before it actually happens. Like we can relive stuff, but it's not authentic. Oh yeah. man, yeah. And with wrestling, man, when you're a kid, authentic is is the ultimate feeling, man. Like I said, the you know watching Sean come down the zip line, um, the whole boyhood dream thing, you know, like. I'll never forget how exhilarating it was to hear Howard Finkel <laughs> say <laughs> and new WWF champion or new heavyweight champion, whatever he says at the time, um, over the PA system when Sean won that match. Yeah, I agree. R- RIP Howard Finkel. Didn't he die recently? Didn't he die yeah. like, like last month or something? Last month, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that we didn't really have an iconic uh, ring voice like Fink. Uh, in our generation, we had Lillian Garcia. We had, you know, people like Tony her. Uh, we had, to- well, yeah, we had Tony, Tony Chimmel. Tony Chimmel, the rated R super. That's our, our generation's most famous call, I think, is I, the Edge. I think the know. issue was that for us, it was such like a a, a round table of people that there wasn't yeah. like one person that we just like knew and wasn't iconic like that. Yeah, for my generation, there was a couple of things that were always staples. You're getting uh, Howard Finkel. On, on that announce, and you're getting uh, Earl Hebner, main event referee. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, One thing I was talking about to the guys like a couple of days ago was Sean in our generation never got a world title run like when we were growing up. And I was kind of wondering if that was because it kind of like feared for Vince that he would like kind of go back to the way he was. Like he wouldn't be – because you always read that when he had the title, he wasn't – like if he didn't want to lose it, he just yeah. simply – wasn't losing it so i wonder if that was like kind of a reason because he had so many feuds where he had the opportunity and he always lost like to jericho to randy orton he never won the big one when we were growing up he well, yeah like he had the the elimination chamber which he won which i remember even me as like a teen at 13 at the time that was huge like i was like oh well, this is cool they just gave Shawn michaels the belt back but yeah other than that um yeah i can't right. remember another reign for him like any title really except for the i think title. that was the last one yeah, except for the take titles. I don't right. remember anything else. With Triple H when they had the DX reunion. I wonder yeah. how much of it, like you mentioned, it could have been maybe just Vince not really wanted to go back down that road with them. But even maybe even him personally, because, you know, one thing that like in real life that the champion has to do is they have to make a lot of appearances. Like they mm-hmm. they they become the face of the company for better or worse, you know, while they have yeah. their belt. And I wonder how much of it is just like maybe at that point in Sean's life, you know, the whole like he really had a found God or whatever. And I think he was married now at the time. Like maybe he just didn't want a part of that anymore. Maybe he just, you know, he liked putting young guys over at that point in his career. Maybe he liked he liked headlining shows, but probably didn't want to be. Um, didn't want to have the responsibility of like holding a belt and needing to be yeah. there, you know, whatever the hell it is, 300 days a year, whatever they say. Yeah. I, I think one of the things about Sean is that like, he, he's great. And he, you know, you could make a good argument that he's one of the goat, but um, he was one of those guys that, you know, he knew when he was done and he knew when he wanted out. He, he's not like one of these guys that hung around until people had to tell him that he was done. Um, you know, we even saw when he returned recently for that match in Saudi Arabia, you were like, no, no, don't come no, back. We don't, like, we don't talk about that, John. Yeah, no, that didn't, that actually didn't happen. I, I made that up. It didn't happen. It's a race from memory. Well, that's it's sad too, right? Like for a guy like Sean, especially, it would be sad if he hung around too long and he became one of those guys because like I met, like, you know, my generation had gotten so used to him being this certain way. Like you don't want to see that guy wrestle in a match at like 55 years old when you can, he can barely climb the ropes. You know, like you see these guys come back sometimes to do it and it's like, man, what are you doing? Like, do you need the money or the spotlight that bad? 
Yeah, just curious, it, have you seen the Saudi Arabia match, Joe? I have not. I, I didn't know this Shawn Michaels and Saudi Arabia match existed, but by the sounds of it, I can't. Don't, it'll one ruin, thing, it'll yeah, no. He's bald in it. And two, two. The, oh, just, the, the hair the, was part of the shtick. The, 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 face, he was he, the face you see he makes once it's over, it makes it look like he hates wrestling. Oh, that's so sad, man. You know what, though? If you, I don't know if you guys, have you seen the when he main evented with Stone Cold? And like Mike Tyson was a special yeah, yeah. guest. Like that was his like last match before his first retirement because of his back. If you watch that match and you he, you see some of the faces he's making because his back was already shot, mm-hmm. it's like painful to watch. And he was on Stone Cold's podcast, I think uh, last year sometime. They talked about that match and how how upsetting it was for Shawn Michaels because he just couldn't give it his all because his back was screwed. So yeah, I can only imagine then freaking 20 years later in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. It was a mess. Both DX numbers were bald. Oh man, that's so sad. Kane was overweight. It was overweight. It looked oh, weird. Man. It happened at like two p.m. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, I was no. in school when it happened. I want to pretend that never happened. Yeah, that's what we do. I mean, if you if you really want, though, I guess it would make myself feel. You mentioned it happened at two p.m. Man, when I first started re- watching wrestling, it was before Raw had even started, or maybe like uh, around the time Raw was starting, and wrestling was you watched like an hour or two on saturday afternoons i don't remember right. what they called it was um, it superstar in your house no in your house was like pay-per-views yeah um this was like it was like whatever before raw they used to have this weekly show but it wasn't live it was like taped stuff mm-hmm. um, and it was just a collection of stuff that had happened from different house shows and then with they'd throw in some like random spots of like macho man talking crap or like whatever <laughs> but yeah so to go from that to then watching Shawn Michaels in Saudi Arabia, I don't think I can do it. <laughs> yeah, we, we recommend you do not. Just take our word yeah, for it. Yeah, I trust <laughs> you guys. Well, all right. With that, I want to like wrap up the pod for this episode. And I want to give a big thanks to Joe for coming out Thank and like you. taking the time yeah, to talk with us. We have a busy schedule, but we really appreciate no, it. No, no. All good. I'm always always down to talk HBK. <laughs> Is there anything you want to like plug? I don't know. You want to thank your Twitter or anything? Or yeah, people can follow me uh, at Joseph Cacharo, spelt the same way as the host Joseph Cacharo of this show. Um, download the Score app, follow the Score on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. I think that's it. All right, awesome. Well, with that, we'll see you guys next week, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, have a good night. <laughs>